All right, we're back a little after four, as promised. The book is uh, For the Good of the Game. Uh, William Morrow, Harper Collins, Bud Selig with Phil Rogers, the uh, longtime owner and uh, commissioner of baseball, and also, uh, I should say, Baseball Hall of Famer, because uh, that's where it ends up, too, is uh, now a member of the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame. And uh, Bud's been. Uh, coming to this show for many years. This show has been in existence now for 30 years, 20 with my old partner, the Mad Dog, who I'm sure you still go visit. And uh, Bud and I had our battles, but I said the good thing about him was he always came and he always uh, spoke his part, which was good. So, Bud, welcome back. Nice to see you. Pleasure and to congratulations be. on getting into the Hall of Fame. Thank you very much. My pleasure to be here. And we did have some battles, but, uh, you know, it's like a lot of things in life. You work those out and move on. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. You tell the story of really your whole baseball life, but uh, for the audience, too, a little bit, because it was a whole baseball life for you. As a youngster, his father was a successful car dealer. Your mom loved baseball, took right. you everywhere, so that's how you were indoctrinated into baseball. That's exactly right. It is, you know, when I think back on it, and I've talked about it so much, but uh, and my dad was great. He would take me to Chicago before the Braves came to Milwaukee to either Comiskey Park or Wrigley Field. My mother brought me here. I think of that every time I'm in New York. 15 years old, 1949, and I'm a Yankee the fan. The summer of 49. Summer of 49. Yes. I'm a Yankee fan in those days. So, um, yeah, the game has been an unbelievable part of my life. All my life. It, it, it is. And it, you've been a lifer in baseball. And then it was your quest for a long time to bring baseball to Milwaukee. That was your dream, was to bring Major League Baseball for to Milwaukee. Five and a half years. Getting turned down everywhere. Uh, you know, sometimes you look at things. We, we applied for American League expansion team, got turned down. I then made a deal with the White Sox to bring them to Milwaukee in 68 and 69, if you remember. Yeah, you brought them there for some games, yes. Yeah, 10 yes. games. Yes. 10 games. And uh, then we tried to buy the White Sox, had them bought, but the brothers, a long involved story, got in a fight, and that ended. And then we st I started in in Seattle. And, and I have to tell you, as you look back on it, Mike, that doesn't work. I'm done. So none of this ever happens. And we got a team. So you I, would have been out if that didn't happen, that you believe. It. That, yeah, yes. it was, we were out of options, and uh, it just, uh, yes, March 31st, bought a club out of bankruptcy and opened up in Milwaukee on April 7th. Uh, absolutely, and, and a tough transition, but then, you know, some great years there. As people remember, they remember Harvey's Wallbangers, you your bet. successful teams, you Paul bet. Molitor. You bet. Robin and then Yount. Robin Yount, the great players you had and right. great teams you had, losing that that classic World Series to the Cardinals. I'm which... still mad about it. And let <laughs> well, me great series. Great and let series. me su suggest, yes. if we don't lose fingers, we win the World I Series. I don't disagree. Every time I see Whitey Herzog, I tell <laughs> And he finally did say, yeah, you're probably right. Absolutely. Keith Hernandez hurt you those last couple Keith of games. Keith Hernandez really hurt us. Yeah, he really did. Yeah, yes. he got he got the big clutch hits. Yeah, no he question. did those last couple of games. I think he got seven hits the last two games. He played really well. Uh, and obviously, though, but that was a great thrill doing that. And then then came the transition. First Molitor with, and the, the beginning of the drug stuff that went on, obviously. And right. then all the changes. But you know what people don't realize is that, uh, or they do, and you depict it, it was such a different era when when they 
Player Association started to gain steam with Marvin Miller. He came into a very different kind of own, owners nope. that were used to having their own way, basically no telling you to go that, home. That is the, go you home. know, I teach now, so I teach the history of the sport, and that is really true. Um, with all due respect to Marvin, who I think should be in the Hall of Fame, right. I know a lot of people disagree well, with Well, they me, just don't want to give him his due. Okay, right, yes, he does, he does. He does, he belongs in the Hall of Fame. Uh, whether you like him or not is really academic. Right. It doesn't right. matter. But having said that, um, we made Marvin. We made Marvin's life easy and made him big. Right. Because we had a lot of owners, Calvin Griffith, I mean, go on and on and on. Who were used to doing it their way. Their way and didn't believe their players should ever belong to a right. And there should be a reserve clause forever, yeah. which meant that if you were Mickey Mantle and you had won a triple crown – you got your next salary and got in 57, didn't win the Triple Crown, got cut $9,000. Where were you going to go? You couldn't go anywhere, right? You had a fight with George Weiss if you were the Weiss, Yankees. Yeah, and George Weiss didn't dole money out too right. easily, as you know. So basically you had the pendulum all the way here from the days of Charles Comiskey right. all the way through, and it allowed there to be such animosity, and the, it really bonded the players. Well, you know, that's interesting. Um, uh, my friend Henry Aaron, who I will see tomorrow, by the way, in Atlanta, but as often as you look at his stats in 57, he was the MVP. Mike, you look at their phenomenal. He went into John Quinn's office, and John Quinn offered him a $1,000 raise. I think I hit 340-something. I don't know. Well, uh, but my first year was 1970. My first meeting was here in New York, and Bowie Kuhn, sat me between Phil Wrigley and Gussie Bush. But the man who really took over as a mentor was John Fetzer, who owned the Tigers many years, great statesman, and he he really, he was great. And so I would ride back and forth to Detroit and then on to Milwaukee with him, and he said to me after an early meeting, you young guys are going to pay a price for all this. Because we were living in a, we had people living in a world who didn't understand. The world was changing. And the, and the owners were very reluctant to change. They had it their way for so long. So reluctant. They, they, even in 76, when uh, Peter Seitz, you, it's in the book, but you, you, Mike, you go back and Seitz warned them. Right. Warned us. Yes. But I was just a young guy. Warned us, don't do this. And they said, ah, to hell with it. We're not giving in. We're going to court in Kansas City where we'll win. We went to court in Kansas City and got killed. And got killed. And all those years, and, and obviously allowed the union to really take shape. No and, and they killed, let's be honest, their whole years through Sotomayor and everything else, they killed Gene Court. I mean, no Fear and Orza, and I know Gene very well, and you know how tough Gene can be. And they, they, Gene they, and I didn't always get along too no, well. I, hey, Gene was hard to get along with. Which well, he's we a feisty well, and a very bright true. guy. A very yeah, bright guy very and a feisty smart. guy. Yes. But they were tough. They beat you guys in court like like, like a rent mule. They no killed question. you guys in no, court. I say that in the book. Yeah, no, no absolutely. I read the whole thing. So it's all true. And you went through living through all of it. But you, there's some things that were just alarming that you didn't know where you talking about Bowie Kuhn and how reluctant he was to do what needed to be done and even Faye Vincent, but the idea that you guys had a chance to buy ESPN. Yes, we did. And that would have been a absolute... Now, $30 million, dollars, I think it was. A, and it was, I remember, uh, Billy, Billy Giles, Eddie Einhorn, brought it to the And Eddie meeting. was a small TV guy. Oh, Eddie was great. Yeah. And we had it, not only had it, we could buy it. For nothing. And Bowie said, it's too much money, we're turning it down. Can you imagine what that turned out to be? I mean, no, that that would have been an incredible, it would have got you to, because you spend a lot of time, Bud, in there talking about 
and I know it's not easy for you. To, and, and I know he might have been a friend and he was a good man because I knew him pretty well. But you talk about the brilliance of Roselle and what he meant to getting the NFL to have the owners do what was right for the game. One of the most important things ever was Wellington Marin not taking more than his share of New York TV money, which made the league. Absolutely you're, you're made right, the league. And I can get it. Could he get in the whole Pete Roselle thing? Which, yeah. But think about this. You think there'd be a Green Bay Packers no. today if they didn't have revenue sharing? No, if they and that was the key. You had to get these guys to, and you talk about how reluctant they were to revenue share. That is, there's three things you had to get done that it took you a long time. One and the wild card we'll get to, which was a very big key, I, and I was a big proponent of that. But you had to get your owners to understand cooperatively what they needed to do in terms of revenue sharing, and you needed to let them realize that they were going to have to give a good amount of money to the players. Because if they didn't do it, you weren't going to have baseball. The, uh, Phil Rogers and I, in the first, and Richard Justice, in the first few pages, there was a line that I inherited a blankety-blank mess. Right. And I didn't want to use it, and they said, but that's, you should, and that's the way you talk, and you did. That's what I inherited. Right. In 92, everywhere I looked, we had no labor peace that had seven work stoppages. We later had an eighth one, which was very sad. There was no revenue sharing, none, zero. And uh, we, we, they were resistant to change to a point where they hadn't changed anything. So when I started studying the wild card my first year, and I'm thinking, uh, I'm thinking to myself, well, huh, we, we deed September away. If there aren't races, it's over by Labor Day. To the NFL. And yet, and but the owners were good. I have to say, they understood. I got to the meeting that day, as I say in the book. Yep. The National League was great. American League, I had all the votes. Somehow they went south. I had to call a little break. and and um, The one guy opposed who stayed opposed was George Bush. He was. and But to his everlasting credit, he said this to me. Many times, but he said it that day. He said, I want you to know, if you need my vote, you got it. I hate the idea. I don't think baseball should do this. It turns out they should. But I had his vote. But at 29 to 1, I, at that point, I didn't care. Fascinating thing. You, as a commissioner, and it's funny, t- tell the people how you became the commissioner. Because at the time, it was considered to be almost heresy. Here's a guy who was going to be an owner, right. going to be the commissioner, but the commissioner's job had changed. Once you had a union, you had a different commissioner, which we all know. Well, that's that, and, and, that's a different, right. and a different rule for commissioners. See, you understood it. A lot of people never understood the evolution of the commissioner's job from Kennesaw Mountain Land and said, was the world different? You know, Completely I didn't different. often agree with Marvin, but Marvin said something in 80, 80 or 81, and, and as much as I like Bowie, and as close as I was to Bowie, Bowie didn't understand it. Marvin said, I represent the players. Bowie doesn't. And he was right. He was right. He was right. You represent the yes, owners. I, yes, there's no question that's about it. it. You're the and owner's that, man, that, and they're the players' exactly man. That's exactly right. You have a bunch of constituencies, but the players are represented by the players. Talk when you made your breakthrough to the owners. Talk to the fans. Tell the audience when you made your breakthrough to the to, to get the owners to, to start to understand... About revenue sharing. In 92, it started. First thing I did, because I wanted some change. I wanted, I wanted to understand. But then I had began to talk to them. We had a meeting in Kohler, Wisconsin, where they make, you know, sure. toilets and stuff, and I wanted to flush a lot of them down there, but that didn't work too well. But I, we, it was a terrible meeting. Anybody who was ever there, 
Um, I, I'll tell you a funny story about which it was all about economics, big markets, small markets, right? mm-hmm. medium markets. Years later, I went to the White House, or the Red Sox were being inducted, and I saw the president before, and I rode back. He said, ride back with us. So I rode back with him and Lauren. We were talking about the, how are things, and, you know, things were tough there. And he said to me, if I could make it through Kohler, I can make it through anything. That's how bad <laughs> Kohler was. Unbelievable. I left Kohler knowing. But slowly but surely, there, there was no doubt in my mind that if we didn't change the economic pattern— like they hadn't changed the economics since I call it the Ebbetsfield Polo Grounds days. You understand that. Yep. A lot of people didn't. They hadn't changed it since 1930. And so what, what I finally said to him over and over again, including George, being George Steinberg. Yes. Look, guys, we're going to die, and the sport is going to die. And we can talk about Roselle. There's one thing I always, and I know they were much smaller, 1961, he was 33 years old. He got them to share revenue. Think about that. Incredibly Incredible important. Incredible story. Incredibly important, especially is, for the big market guys. That yeah. is, there's no, there's like no, Wellington Mara, well, who shared. Wellington Mara, and yeah. then you have the Green Bay Packers Absolutely. over here. Absolutely, yeah. And yeah. it was to their ever Mara, Rooney, and George Hallis. Absolutely. Really, they were... Without question. Because for the good of the game would be what they operated. And what you talked about, you had to get to your, to your guys, but you were heading towards... Armageddon, which came your way when you had to stand up in front of the world and tell them no World Series. And I could tell you this. We started, and you were very often on a Mike and the Mad Dog show, we started FAN in 87. 89, Mike and the Mad Dog started. Right. You know how successful WFAN became. Of course. Our toughest time was that strike. That was our toughest year because the fans even stopped listening to us during yeah. that year because they were angry at everybody. Everybody. And no one could believe. We sat here every day and discussed it, and we couldn't believe they're never going to shut down the world. And you had to stand there and say, hey. And then you can tell me about how it became a political football where you had to go to the White House, and they you didn't get along. Obviously, you talk about that story in there with the, with the vice president and with the commissioner, with the uh, uh, president. But... You had to sit, stand in front of a microphone and tell the world there's not going to be a World Series so this year. So here's what happened. I'll tell you, that's great. Here's a, so now we're on, we go through September. My general manager at that time was Sal Bandel and Phil Garner. Both have been very active union guys and had come to me and said, look, we haven't played in five weeks. We can't play. You're going to have to. T-. I had John Harrington of the Red Sox and Dave Montgomery, who just passed away, unfortunately, the Phillies, who worked with me on all these projects. And they were saying to me, you got to tell people. We got tickets. You got TV stuff for the World Series. We're going to have to tell people. I didn't want to do it. I'll give Jackie Autry, Gene Autry's uh, wife, credit. She begged me not to do it. She said, you're going to get killed. They're going to blame you. It turned out to be right. But somebody had to tell me. And I'll never forget the day that we announced there was no, uh, oh, it was awful. It was. Un- and you wanted the union to stand up there with you. I did. And they wouldn't do it. No. I called Don over and over, and I said, Don, look, there are TV sponsors. This is baseball. Right. Forget you, you can be mad at me and mad at this guy and mad at that guy. But he said, no, I'm not doing it. And I said, well, we got to let people know. we got to tell them. You just said something, though, which is so true. And the thing that hurt us from my and my day, so it's really from 1968 to 95, we had eight work stoppages. Everybody was a loser. 
They hated the players, but you didn't want your fans hating the player. Right. I, I didn't want my fans mad at Molitor and Cooper and, and Yount and right. Fingers and everybody else. And on the other hand, the owners didn't want to get – so the game suffered because people were, as you just said very well, mad at oh, everybody. Oh, they were mad at everybody. No, you don't have to tell me. As you know. No. You were a villain. I yeah. was the villain. Yeah. Oh, I, mean, I was a villain. You got a lot of attention. I you did. were on a cover of the New York Times oh, magazine, the whole bad. thing. A guy named yeah. Pat Jordan who wrote a story. Oh, my goodness. Read my – my wife is here. She there were days we'd be watching television, and she got up and turned it off. Ugh. It was bad. What what can what is your recollection of that winter? Going through that winter, what were you expecting that spring? As you as you went we were, through, we, and, you know, we were talking about using replacement players. Didn't really want to do that. Right. By the way, I, I it was it got a lot of attention, but we didn't want. I was very concerned, and it turned out, Mike, that it was worse than I thought. 1995 was a brutal year. I think we drew just a little over 50 million. It was awful. It was the only good thing that happened on a, on September 6th. Ripken broke broke Garrick's record, and that, if you remember, was phenomenal. Yep. Other than that, a total nightmare. Yeah, People and in our town, what angry. was good is the Yankees just blossomed that year, as That's you right. know. And you talk a lot about George in there, uh, and. George was an, you know, you would think you guys very different, the bombastic, bigger-than-life George, but you had a good relationship with George through the years, you right? You know, it was interesting. When he came in, I could sit here all day, and, and you'd be fascinated because you'll remember something. I came in in 70, he came in in December of 72, and he used to kid me a lot. He paid $10 million for the Yankees, and I paid ten eight for Milwaukee. <laughs> so I heard I, I took a lot of abuse. And we never agreed on anything, but you know what? We really became good friends. Our families became close. And he was good. And, and even at the end in revenue sharing where he was mad and he, we went through a lot of stuff together. But in the end, he was very loyal. And, and it was, so I, 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 do, I, I do talk a lot about him. He was, um, he was really interesting because he was angry, always angry. And I'll tell you what would happen. He and Bowie hated each other. And um, so either Mr. Fetzer or Bowie would call me. This is in the 70s. And say, you got to call your guy. Did you see what he said? And he did. And it was generally something. So I'd call. And um, he'd rail and rant. My, my uh, secretary had been Vince Lombardi's secretary for 11 years. And George loved Lombardi. You can imagine oh, why sure. and how. And uh, so she, he, he really liked her. And she'd always say, he need to hang up. She'd, he'll call back in 10 minutes. You could set your watch. Ten minutes later, the phone rang, and it was George. What do you want? What is that? No good. I won't. Uh, right. I won't repeat on the radio what he called. And I said, Georgie, come on, don't do this. This is not worth fun. Yeah, you're their golden boy. I know that because he hated. You know, he right. really hated Bowie. Finally, he would agree, and this went on many times. But you tell Kuhn never to have you call me. Blah 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 blah. Bang. And then we'd go through that again. But. But what happened over many years, and um, one of the first things I did when I came, when I became the uh, acting commissioner in 1992, is I brought George back, because I felt he hadn't been treated fairly in the legal process. That's a whole other story, and um, and so. Yet you know when it came to Bam, which became a huge success. Right. Um, I'll tell you a story about him only because as my wife is sitting there watching and she'll remember this. The night before, the three of us have dinner. George, 
my wife and I. And I said to her on the way there, don't bring up the vote. But there were two votes. The first vote was going to be um, they were going to extend power to me to solve the economic problems. And that they voted 30 nothing, and he was gone. The next one was what later became BAM, which you know became an enormous success. Enormous success to this day. Enormous. And I wanted it to be each club owned the same amount. Right. George owned Kansas City. Owned right. Mexico. And I had 29 votes, and I didn't have his. And so halfway through dinner, my wife said, well, how are you going to vote on that tomorrow, Joe? And then he starts <laughs> raving and ranting, <laughs> raving about the little guys with the hand in his pocket. He was always smart. To I'm not talking about Milwaukee, but I'm talking about Kansas City, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, Detroit. He went on and on. The way home, she says, well, how is he going to vote? I said, I have no idea. So the next day, we vote in the morning, everything fine, vote in the afternoon, and it turns out to be huge, huge. And um, everybody's voting, yes, that's the other thing, George. You got all those dopes of, you know, Georgie, please. We came to the Yankees, and um, our legal treasurer, Tom Nostratag, says, New York Yankees, no answer. Seemed like a year. This was huge, because I was insisting in those days on 30 to nothing votes. Because I knew that if you didn't, they would grumble, and that if they voted for it, finally, to make a long story short, he voted yes. And with, with, the, with the covenant, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'll vote yes. And it turned out to be vote. one of your biggest successes. It, enormous, economically. Enormous. 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 Yes, absolutely. We're talking with Bud Seeley. Quick break for the good of the game. Uh, Harper Collins with Phil Rogers back after this. Right now I'm talking with Bud Seeley, the uh, longtime commissioner for the good of the game. Uh, Bud Seeley with Phil Rogers. Tonight's All-Star game, uh, it brings back one move Bud made was one of the smartest moves ever, and that was the wild card, which people screamed and yelled about, and they were out of their mind because he put the chase back in baseball in September and took the league, took the sport back from football, which had owned it. And then the worst, which was putting anything on the all-star game, which I hated from the beginning, which you just tried to pump life into something that has changed. You talk all the time about change in baseball. The all-star game doesn't have the same importance or gravity because you have one league. There's only one league now, one big league. Right. There's interleague play, so that it doesn't have what I had when or you had when we were kids. We love the All-Star game, but now they don't care about it enough. Well, that was it. Now, this is great because you said before we've agreed on some things and not. Right. The wild card, I took abuse. If you and remember. I love the wild card. I know. But I, know I hated the other one. I thought well, that was me, the craziest one Let me tell you ever. what happened. I'll tell you what happened, and, and I understand that. You're right. I go back to 19, well, I go back into the 40s, but right. 1950, Williams broke his elbow and played all 14 right. innings. The All-Star game was huge in those and days. And so what was happening by the time we got to 02, guys didn't want to play. Right. If they came there, their limos were waiting for them in the right third out of the game. Boom. Gone. Right. They wanted out after the second inning. Right. And we were really having problems. Now, I have to admit this to you. Um, as you and I know each other. I'm going to be very right. candid. Fox said to me, and they were carrying the game, we got to do something, and we talked about this time it counts. And I wasn't sure, but I wanted to do something because it it's a better all-star game if you do something. So we did it. It had nothing to do with a tie in Milwaukee. Uh, that was my so, friend. Yeah, everyone always thought it did because you ran out of pitches in the all-star game. Yeah. Well, yeah. Joe Torrey right. and Bob Brenly, and you know I love right. Joe, and right. I, I, it was just – one of those things that happened. The only thing I'll tell you, it just comes into my mind. 
I said to my wife in the seventh inning, he used he brought in Barry Zito for one hitter. And I love Joe. You know, right. Frank was one oh, of my sure. best friends. Absolutely. And I said, I hope he knows what he's doing. <laughs> and um, it turns out they, they ran out of pitchers. Joe Torrey actually lived at your house. Yes. Oh, it's your dead, yes. Yeah, that's an amazing story. Today. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Frank, yeah. I'll never forget Frank says, you got to watch the kid. I'm going on a road trip. And, <laughs> that's and, a, uh, and he was a great small kid. Small world. But, small yeah. world, yes. So, you know, I, I, the only thing I wanted to do is bring back the game. And so I know this time I count, look, and, and I understand, believe me, I, I had a lot of people that disagreed. But here's the point. We didn't have Einstein's theory of relativity. One year you got it, the next year right, there was I no, got it. There's no there way to, right. So I said to myself, the next year in Chicago, we're sitting down there. It's the ninth inning. All the players on the American League, next dugout I'm are on the top step. All the players in the National League are on the top step. A uh, little for call. You know, Atlanta kid hit a ball that was caught at the wall. I thought, oh, my God, we're going to have another tie. and But it was caught. But there was interest. That's all I was trying to do. Okay. Fair uh, you know, I, I, I understand that the people thought it would, but it was it, it did bring back more interest. And it's hard, these All-Star games. It's very hard now. The players you make bet. so much money. It's, it's a different world. They want the time off. And, and your sport at least has a game that lends itself to an All-Star no game. Question. The other leagues do not. I mean, there no, should I, never I be one. I don't want to say that, but you and I know oh, that's true. It's the only sport because the pitcher is still the pitcher. So yes, that, That's exactly right. All right. Let's get to the other big issue, yeah. which is the steroid issue. And here you have now... You're back on the field. You have Sosa McGuire bring your sport back with the home run chase. And we know this, and I can tell you this because not even with you, but Gene Orza and Fear, we knew very well here. And Gene Orza, I know very well from Runyon's from when I was a kid. Right. And Gene loved to argue. And I argued this with Gene, and they were dead adamant that this was a personal, a privacy issue. This was not anything that should ever be legislated. And Dean was like adamant. The union was adamant. And they, I said, Dean, you're so wrong. It's going to kill the sport. And they're like, I said, what about the Olympics? What do you mean it's a privacy issue? It's a privacy issue. This is, is not worse than smoking cigarettes. He was so far out there on that. You had to deal with that. You're trying to keep labor peace at a time where you just came off a World Series being canceled. So you wind up not getting testing for years because of that. Be, uh, Fought, and, you know, it was interesting, and I'll say it's interesting. Were you and the owners as far? Wh where was your position compared to theirs, which was clearly they didn't want any testing? Oh, where were you guys? Over on the other side. You wanted testing. Well, here's what happened. In eighty in 98, when um, um, Wilstein found a bottle of Andro in, in uh, McGuire's locker. Right. And uh, I knew we had a problem. The best Rob could get. I'll take you quickly, year by year, was to go to Harvard and study Angel. I said to Ron, 2000, I banned it in the minor leagues because unilaterally I can do that. Now we're, we're, we're in 202, right to the deadline, August 31st. The last item, 7 o'clock in the morning, Tommy Glavin had come in, and everybody wanted to make a deal, but it was painful. And Rob, kept, Rob Manfred kept saying to me, Commissioner, 5% test positive we got, that was the deal. And I didn't like it. It was weak. But it was the best we could do. And to be frank with you, I just didn't think another work stoppage at that time. It, we had, it had been a painful recovery. It turned out it was all right. By, you know, by 2003, 
over 5% tested positive. But it was like pulling teeth. And it was it was it was brutal. Every, Did Bonds make a mockery of the game for you? Well, with um, his performance, I mean, you you're best friends with Henry Aaron. Right, he's the home run king. Here's the guy who's going to break his records, and here's a guy that everyone knows or believes he's cheating, and the union's trying to protect him. And this right. is a guy who, as is you, Reggie states in your book, hey, lucky they didn't pit, they didn't pitch to him. If they pitched to him, he would hit a hundred home runs. I mean, that's Look, basically I, it. You know, as I said in the book, and I'll. It, uh, there were things that went on that were painful for me. That was one of them. And it wasn't because of my relationship. Henry and I have been friends for 60 years. It really wasn't. He called, Henry would call me a lot. And but Bonds asked you to be a go-between with Henry, he and you yeah. refused. I did. I didn't think the commissioner of baseball should be a go-between. And Henry hadn't returned his call and never did. Right. So, so uh, he asked you to be the go-between. He did, yes. he did ask me, yeah. and I said to Barry at the time, you're asking the commissioner to be a go-between in a business deal? I said, no, I don't think so. Let me ask you this, but because there's no question, we're talking with Bud Selig, the longtime commissioner, Hall of Famer, Milwaukee owner. No, you love baseball. We, there's no question of that, okay? This is your legacy, and you, your life's been baseball. Here's the part that I have a problem with. Tell me what your belief is. And you can't give me more than your belief. You're in the Hall of Fame, okay? There are players now who can't get in the Hall of Fame. They have been, some got caught. Most of them, I think, that have, are on that list got caught testing most, or some might have been innuendo, or they might have been outside. I'm not sure every one of them got caught, but most of them. There's a lot of suspicion about them. Some of the greatest players of all time, A-Rod, Clemens, Bonds, etc. okay, Manny Ramirez, Socha, et cetera, Maguire. There were a lot of other players that we know in this era because Player Association wouldn't let you test. They a lot of the players thought it was okay because the Players Association was telling them it was okay. They see, were. By the way, if I can just interrupt. Right. See, this is fascinating to me because you understand it. There are a lot of people who say we were slow to react. They don't understand the Gene Orza, Don Fair. They don't understand. They were adamant it. about this. I remember Orza Marvin about this went for to hours. A, Marvin went to his grave, saying. That if he were still there, nobody would be using a bottle and being tested. He believed it was a huge privacy yes, issue. Did. So did Orza. And Orza, he was on this show fighting to the death about this. He said, I fight this to my to the death. And he did. He did. And I know he, he was telling you that the senators were wrong, right? At the, uh, so we know that. And the players knew that, that that was an indoctrination. We know a lot of players either got in the Hall of Fame who didn't get caught there's a lot of players who used it and didn't get caught. How do we justify this era going forward? How do we do these guys eventually get in the hole? Do they not? Is that important? Is it not important? How do you how do you think about those well, players? Well, here's that are, how I think about. It. A lot of people wanted me to change, you know, uh, records, and I, we don't do that. That's a slippery slope. I agree it, with that. I agree with just, that. It, it, it just. Undoes. But what's your feeling about it? What, what what's your feeling about where the how how should history treat? It wasn't the steroid whether era? they used it or not. In some cases, I will say this. I haven't said this before, but I'll say it. It's how they conducted themselves too. And that's what worried me, you know. For the good of the game, right? It's something I happen to believe, and 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 so they, these players didn't put the game first, as you're, in your mind, they did not. Okay, clearly but, not. What, but there clearly were a not. lot of guys who didn't get caught, clearly, who who used. Do we 
somehow, but how do we, as a baseball historian, which you qu- clearly qualify as, what's your opinion about how these guys should be treated in history? I think the writers, what I've said to a lot of writers is they know the whole story. They know who cooperated and who didn't. There were some players that really did cooperate. They may have used, they may have not. It, it's, a, it's a very complex issue. Right. Um, I, I guess what I would say is I'm going to let the writers make that judgment over a period of time. They know what I know. And, and Would you have a problem if those guys got in the hole? Um, I'll let them make that decision. Okay. No. I'll let them make that. How do you feel the steroid issue has be, been adjudicated since the Waxman days, since you've had a test? What do you feel you are now as far as baseball proud. is? Proud. It makes me proud. With all the heartache of this, to think today, and WADA, World Anti-Doping Association, will tell you, we have the toughest program in American sports by far, and maybe the toughest program in America. Now, is it perfect? No. I don't want to tell you that. You and I know that there. But I'm telling you, for instance, George Mitchell, and and remember, I I, I hired Mitchell right. because I, I just didn't have anything to hide. I, I, I go, he, he conducted 1,900 interviews. We spent a fortune. All that's okay. The union never, never met with him once. And Don and, and George were originally friends. They weren't after a while. And so... We'll never know everything. We knew a lot about New York, uh, right. all the Mitchell report, but there were. Uh, but I, I, I'm confident that he made 20 recommendations. I still talk to the trainers. I love the professional athletic trainers. They know more what's going on in the sure. clubhouse than anybody else, and and uh, the team doctors. A lot of team doctors. They're very confident that we really have a really tough, solid program. There was a feeling that when you went in front of Waxman, that was the last straw for you. Was that true? Uh, I already had the last straw, but that was, yes, that was an ugly day, and I was angry. I was angry. I was angry with everybody, and I, I, my determination became more, and I'll tell you why. Uh, and Don was there that day. I don't even remember Gene being there, but Don was there, and he was uncomfortable, and it was just painful. The first two witnesses that day were Don Hooten and Bob Garibaldi. Their sons committed suicide right. taking steroids. And I sat there saying to myself, I won't use my favorite words here because I don't want you to get thrown off the air. But I said, I, I just, we're not going to do this anymore. And I told Don that later. And I kept on him. I kept on him and kept on him. Uh, one of the writers, uh, well, Murray Chass used to refer to me as the evangelist because I thought all I did is talk about but the problem was, I, you know what was interesting to me? I had a lot of players come to me, a fair amount, who really wanted testing because they didn't like what was being said about them. Right. Some of them played right here in New York. So right, you know absolutely, absolutely. And, 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 they, and they were fighting their own union about it. There's no question about it. And they were fighting with Gene. Right, especially Gene, absolutely. Especially Gene. And so... It, then it got t- tougher and tougher, and by 09, or 06 and 09, we made two early deals, and it, t- and it got a lot tougher. We had hi- we've hired a doctor, Gary Green, from UCLA many years ago, the leading expert on it, and I talked to him with some regular, and he satisfies me that for the most part, we really have solved the problem. And so that's all I can tell you is, yeah, I am proud of that, because remember, this is a union that never had agreed to it. We just we talked about no cocaine. Question. We talked about no, no all question. the other things, and so and uh, and you know Gene never gave up, and Don finally retired. Michael Weiner was tough. 
but he was fair and rational. And he, it was, you know what I... I well, he was the first one that didn't have Marvin Miller over his shoulder. Exactly correct. They were always afraid to upset Marvin Miller, well, Fear just, and Orzov. This is great. You're the first person... Well, I know both that. of them. That's, that's why I knew that. And they yeah. always were... He was like the... He was like their, their legend. He was no like their guy who... They never wanted to have him call him up and say, what are you doing? You can't do this. Right. And that's exactly right. And that's where... And that's where the steroid issue be. And that's the people who say, well, you were slow to react. You liked it at home run. Let me tell you something. In 98, you had the McGuire social thing. Our attendance went down in 99. You know when it got better? 03 and 04, when the tougher testing went in. So that, that was just the one thing I'm going to say in defense of the owners. This is where George was great, by the way. George was they never objected. I told them if we have to go on strike, we have to do this, we're going to tighten and throw these things out. And never once, I would tell you, did one owner say to me, well, you know, why don't you leave it alone? So. What owner, with on with Bud Selig, what owner in your stay, in your stay, you went in there and were the acting commissioner for what, six years, five years? Yeah, six years. And then. And then the commissioner for. Right, so I was really the commissioner from 92 on. Oh, and a tremendous run as the commissioner uh, and through a very successful time for baseball. There's no one can dispute that. I mean, the, the le- just look at the ledger as far as the revenues. Um, from the standpoint of the owners, you talk about the for good of the game. What owner. And this isn't disparaging any of the others, but one owner was your go-to guy who, you, when you needed to make a consensus, who was your guy to pull the other owners along? Well, I learned it from John Fetzer, but he, of course he was gone. But he, right. I would use him as the, as the, uh, you know, there were really a bunch of them, um, and I hate to single owners out. Well, but which guy was the guy who you think was the best at using the? Who was? I the, had a whole bunch. Who, I, was I, there I, one who was just really no, good for the game? No, there himself? were a bunch that were. They were that really understood this. I, I I hope that goes on in the future. I mean, I could name a bunch of them. Bill Dewitt in St. Louis just you couldn't have a better owner. And but I could go on and on. And Jerry Reinsdorf was always really very very good. And there were a bunch. You know, it, it, interesting because owners had been. Really difficult. Um, in '92, owners hated owners. Owners hated the commissioner. Uh, I once told my wife she wanted to know why I didn't want to take the job in the '90s, and George, in particular, was putting a lot of pressure on with everybody else. And I said, "Well, the eight people that preceded me either got fired or died in office, and I don't like those. <laughs> but this worked out okay. But but there there are there are really you know I because I, I don't want to forget there were so many." They were good. Yes, the revenue-sharing debates were brutal. But in the end, they voted 30 to nothing on that, too. And we started, you know... Yes, was it harder to get the revenue-sharing or harder to get the wild card in? Oh, revenue-sharing, by far. By, by far. Oh, yeah, wild card was actually came along pretty well. And, of course, now everybody says, well, it was... But you remember... I would mean, you have I, handled Pete Rose differently? No. In the beginning, would you have handled him differently? No, I think Bart Giamatti handled it exactly the way he should. You did? Oh, I thought Bart handled it very well, and I would never have changed did it. Did Faye do anything because he was upset about Bart dying? Was that, did that affect Faye, or was Faye fair with, 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 what, with his, it was his oh, take? On Pete Rose, look, the thing I'll never understand about that situation, and I, if I could go back and just give you a little history. We were all raised in the business. My first trip to a... Major League Clubhouse was May of 58. I went to the Milwaukee Braves Club. Big thing from Ford C. Frick said, if you gamble. You're gone. You're gone. You're gone for life. For life. Said it. It Right on the wall. 
There right. was no, so I, to this day, I happen to believe that. And so did Bart handle it right? Yes. And did everybody else, Faye, and now Rob? Absolutely. Did you ever meet with Pete in your I years? Did. I met with Did you Pete. ever come close to putting him back in baseball? No. No. Okay. no I'll tell you what happened. Uh, Johnny Bench, um, Joe Morgan, and Mike Schmidt, all of them are friends of mine, and I, they brought him to Milwaukee. And, um, and then they left the room. We talked for a while, and he, I know he had called Robin Yount, and he had called Molitor, and, you know. And, um, and I love players. I think you know that. But it wasn't a bad meeting, but I asked a lot of direct questions, which I never got answers to. It turned out he finally admitted what he had done. And uh, so, no, I, I wouldn't change anything. Your greatest triumph in baseball was what? As, I mean, economic as commissioner. Change. The economic change? Absolutely. No doubt about it. I mean, all the other wild card, all the other things that went on, and there were so many other things that went on. But, no, I, I – because I, I, I tell you where we were headed in the 90s. It's um, another thing. That, baseball was in trouble. Oh, big trouble. Oh, big trouble. I don't think people... People don't realize your TV contract actually went down at one point. In 95... It never went down in other sports. Your your contract went down. Let me tell you, in 95, we had tried the baseball network in 94, and then we had to... In 95, we had no television. Chase Carey, who was then president of Fox, who became a great friend of mine, came to Milwaukee in January. Now, anybody comes to Milwaukee in January, and it was 10 below zero, and we made a deal. Sort of a conditional deal. We had no time. Look, when I say in that chapter, not to be facetious, I inherited a mess, right. banking mess. It was. There was no TV deal. There was no... Many clubs have said to me since, if you don't do what you did in the 90s, we're out of business. And baseball was in real trouble. And we hadn't marketed it well. See, that's the thing, you know, I, the point I made about Roselle. Whether you like it or not, he was a brilliant marketer. Brilliant. Absolutely and brilliant. And he did for that. Understood television so well, oh, too. Oh, yes, he, yes. he knew it brilliantly. And we had it avoided. So now you do the wild card, you do all these other. And slowly but surely, we began to turn things around. And, you know, I got lucky. I said to them the day I took the job and before, Fred Wilpon will remind me this often, you guys judge me on how the franchise asset values are. That's how you should judge me, because that's a composite of everything else. Well, they went through the roof, and you got to get lucky to have that. But you don't do it unless you're doing all the things that will generate revenue. Does gambling scare you now as it being uh, uh, these leagues becoming partners with gambling? You know, I'm old-fashioned, so I'll give you that answer, so it makes me nervous. But as long as it doesn't affect the game on the field, the players, the executives, the owners, everybody else, Okay, I can live with that, but they got to be careful. You know, in the end, this office got formed because of the Black Sox scandal. Right. So, what is the job of a commissioner in every integrity of the game? Integrity of the game. Exactly. That game has to be on on the up and up. If it is, you don't have a game. If you know, I always say to my students, if you're going to game tomorrow, and there's a scintilla of doubt in your mind that maybe there's something wrong with the game, you have no game. No game. Totally agree. And no one wants that. Everyone wants that. No matter what your take no is, everybody wants that. Absolutely.
Do you like where the game is right now? People trying to speed it up? Your uh, your successes trying do. to speed I, it up? I do. I mean, there are things that need to be done. There's no, don't misunderstand. I've, I've lived through too much. Right. I've lived through 68 and 70 when they, they tinkered with the mound, and then we right. brought the sure. DH in because there was no offense, and people are excited about where they are now. The only thing I can tell you, I, the thing I've lived with, and a story that I tell, and I, if I can just do this real quickly with you, in 1958, a sports editor at Milwaukee Journal went to AP Sports editors and said baseball is more abundant. It's slow, it's dull, it's dying. So here we are, 60 years later, sports gross uh, in- income is over $13, $14 billion. Billion. And billion. And we're doing well. Are there things that they should do? Yes. Are there things that they will? But Rob Manfred understands that very well. And they will do that. Whether or not you want to use a pitch clock or whether or not you want to, you know. Henry Aaron tells me, told me again yesterday, 23 years I never stepped out of the batter's box. That's the thing. Go watch the 1960 World Series game. Well, no one steps says? out of the box. He said you step out of the box and Drysdale or Gibson or Hit one you. of those guys would have drilled you. Absolutely. And that, and, that, and that is right. Look, I, I watched 15 games maybe every night. Guy gets out of the box, ball one. Now he gets out and he starts adjusting all stuff. He hasn't. Swung. I said this to Bernie Williams. Bernie Williams said, "If I couldn't do that to a pitcher, I wouldn't even know what to do. I want to make him think. I want to make him. I want to pressurize the at bat. I want him to right. think." They and, and we've watched it from Mattingly to all these guys all stepping out of the box. It's another half hour. Absolutely right. No question about it. Has changed so unbelievably. They'll, they, they'll make those changes. They're, they're, the union's got to sign off on them. And I. And all I'm right, a couple of baseball things for you. Go number yeah. one. Best player you ever saw was. In person, best play. You said, "Wow, that's the best player I've ever seen." Who was he? You've seen everybody. Uh, I've seen. You everybody. saw DiMaggio. You and loved you know, him. I who's do. the and best DiMaggio player? DiMaggio was my hero as a kid. I know that up. you said that in the uh, book. But who's no. the best play ever? What player made you say, "Wow, wow"? Henry Aaron. Henry Aaron didn't get the publicity. Didn't because he played Think, in Milwaukee. It's exam Milwaukee, and he Atlanta. wasn't flashy like Mays, and exactly. he wasn't Mickey, and, don't and he wasn't Mickey. Mays was phenomenal. Was he you jealous should... of Marilyn Mays? No, no, huh? No. He doesn't have a jealous bone. So now, even though he was as good as those guys and didn't get the attention till they were gone, right? Didn't bother and, him. And as his years have gone on, now he's gotten a lot of attention. Absolutely, but no, it didn't. But look, Mays was phenomenal. They both always said how good Aaron was too. No, quite, they oh, both, no question. About they it. always did. Williams was probably the greatest hitter I ever saw. He was. I think. All right, the game on the line. Okay, you need a base hit. You don't need a home run. You want Yount in the box or Molitor in the box? You're going to pick Molitor, I think. One hit. No, that's one nobody's ever asked me. That's a very good question. Um, I'll win with either one of them. Come on, which one? One, your life on the line, which one? William said Molitor was the best swing he saw in his whole life. He told me that over and over. Um, Molitor was a great hitter. Yount was a great player. Molitor was a great hitter. No question about it. Yeah, Yount was a great player all the way around. I I don't know. I mean, I got to think about that one. That's a, those are two. Those are your no, two. Those great, your two favorite players of the modern uh, guys in your Brewers. Those are your two guys. Yes, yes. You had them both so long. That's I why. Did. No question about. It. They were great players too. Which you ones? Know, which rem- ones were you some more surprised about their career? Yana Molita. When they were young, which one did you think was going to be a better player? Um, we got Molita. He was a University of Minnesota kid. He came quicker. Um. George Bamberger, who was our manager, who was one of my all And he wanted to lead him off, right? He said, lead him off. 
you know, called him the igniter. Yep. And he says, that kid is so good. He told me in spring training, 1978, kid hadn't played in the big leagues yet. He said, you know what? That kid's going to Hall of Fame if he stays healthy. Turned out to be right. But How about so did that? Young. Um, a, and Bamberger, funny, because, you know, pitching coaches don't make great managers. And he was your a, guy was, was a good and manager. he got sick, unfortunately, three years We had won 93 and 95 games. He was a great manager. And they played for Harvey Keene for you guys, oh, too. God, they they loved him. Harvey Keene. Harvey was the same thing. They loved him, too. Harvey yeah. was a Milwaukee kid who played. My dad uh, had a Ford dealership, American Legion ball, and Harvey played on that team. One one game to win. What pitcher in your life? Is it Sandy? Would it be Sandy Koufax oh. or somebody else? I oh. think so, too. I think so, too. I love Spawn. And I love that. That's how you saw Spawn all oh, the time. But you know Spawn what? Sandy lot, was different. Oh, he was. I saw. I got to see him pitch in person when I was a kid. He was unbelievable. Unbelievable. No one's ever been as good as he. No, that's exactly. I totally no, agree. I couldn't agree with you more. No, there's no question. If I got to win a game tomorrow. You give me Koufax. And what's the one thing you want people to remember about Bud Selig? Um, I love the game. It was a period of change, and um, and. Um, the game was better, but but always with the understanding, and I, that's why the title meant so much to me. Might be painful, and I took a lot of abuse and certainly, but always do what's in the best interest of the game. And if it's painful for you, so be it. For the good of the game, Bud Selig with Phil Rogers, Harper Collins, a book, William Morrow. Uh, it's out now. Uh, it's going to do very well, but it'll make a couple of stops. Thank you for coming in and giving me an hour. I pleasure appreciate it, Bud. Pleasure to see you. Good to see you. Bud Selig.